Welcome back to The Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hell. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of scripture and theology. Right now, we're going through a series looking at 1 Peter, and we're moving rather slow because there's a lot of really wonderful, deep stuff that we find in this letter that Peter wrote to the elect exiles. We've made it up to the third verse of 1 Peter, and we've been going through this verse clause by clause, and we're going to continue to do that this morning, looking now at the kind of third clause, the third statement that we have in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I would remind you, as I've said on previous episodes, that 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12 is all one long, theologically soaked sentence by which Peter is trying to encourage and comfort the elect exiles in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And in this one long, theologically soaked sentence, he lays out the themes of this letter that he's going to write to them. So that's what we're looking at. I'll read uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and then I'll pray for us and make a few comments. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Father, as we look once again at your word, I ask that you would strengthen me that I may speak by your spirit that your spirit would be at work in all of us, that we may have ears to hear and so be strengthened by your word. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, as we look here at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this is the, the third clause that we're looking at. We've talked about the fact that God is worthy of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We looked yesterday at the reality that all that he has done, he has done according to his great mercy, his hesed, his covenant faithfulness, his steadfast love, his loving kindness. That's the basis for our identity, hope, and security that we have in Jesus Christ is the very mercy of God. Not our performance, not our earning it, but God's pure mercy. Today we're going to look at the reality of our identity. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Anaginaos, it's a word, it's this particular way of saying it is only used twice in the entire New Testament. Once here and then once later in the same chapter in verse 23, Peter says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he goes on to talk about that word. And so the question for us today is, what exactly does it mean to be born again? This is an idea that is thrown around a lot in evangelical churches and in Bible-believing Bible churches, this idea that we must be born again. And sometimes, like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we are confused by exactly what that means. You may recall the story when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night trying to figure out some things about theology and exactly who Jesus was and what it was that he was teaching, that he came and, and Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This confused Nicodemus and he was asking, why am I supposed to enter again into my mother's womb? What exactly are you talking about here? And so Jesus gave some clarification, saying, Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
With this, Jesus introduced an Old Testament idea. In fact, that was kind of his point. Nicodemus was a teacher of the law, and Jesus questions him, saying, Nicodemus, if you don't know about the, the new birth, if you don't know about being born again, what have you been teaching people? You call yourself a teacher of the law, and you don't know about this. What's going on? See, the idea of the new birth isn't a New Testament idea. I mean, it's a New Testament idea. It's not first a New Testament idea. It, it precedes that. It's found there in the Old Testament. Specifically, if we look at Ezekiel chapter 36, this is what we read beginning in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This idea that we find in John 3, 5, where Jesus says, unless one is born of water and spirit as explanation for what it means to be born again, the background to that idea is right there in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. And it contains, you'll notice, two parts. The washing with water and the, the giving of the spirit. And by that, God says through Ezekiel, I will be your God and you will be my people. So what we begin to see is that with the new birth comes a new identity. No longer are we those who are labeled as only sinners and rebels to God. No longer are we those who are rightly the objects of his wrath. No longer are we those who are not his people. But by the new birth, by being born of the water and the spirit, we're told that we now are belonging to God. That he will be our God and we will be his people. We see the same thing in John chapter 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, this is the reality of the new birth that Peter is wanting his people, his audience, these elect exiles to understand. He's wanting them to understand what their identity is in order that they might live out of that identity. See, when we're faced with difficult times, it's important that we know who we are. It's important that we know whose we are because then we know to whom we can go for help. My children, undoubtedly, at least I hope, know that because they are my kids, if things get rough, they can come to me and they can come to their mother for help because they are identified by their birth as our children. The new birth brings a new identity. And it's important that we understand our identity 
so that when things get difficult, we know to whom we can go for help. That's what Peter is wanting these elect exiles to know. He wants them to to know their identity, to know who they are, so that undoubtedly when it gets difficult, they can go to their God, to whom they belong, for the help that they need. Paul talks about us understanding our new identity in Romans chapter 6. He says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is in part what it means to be born again. As we saw, to be born of the water and the Spirit means from Ezekiel 36 that we have been washed clean with the water, with pure water. Our our idolatry, our unrighteousness has been washed away and we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The heart of stone has been removed and replaced with the heart of flesh. And the Spirit does this work in us so that God can say, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the idea that Paul is trying to capture in Romans 6 when he tells us to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The question that we have to consider, that we have to think through is, is this how we think about ourselves? As dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus, do we understand what our new identity in Christ is? He gives us further help in understanding that identity over in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 15. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Again, do you understand who you are in Christ? Do you understand to whom you belong by the work of the Spirit within you? We go back once again to Titus chapter 3 and we read the words that we read yesterday. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of of eternal life. Again, Titus, Paul writing to Titus is making this same point that we find Peter here making. He wants Titus to understand who he is. That by the washing with regeneration, by the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he belongs to God. God has taken responsibility for him as his father given his spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father, who who bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God and if children, heirs with Christ of the Most High. That's who you are, Christian. That's who these elect exiles are. And Peter wants them to know that, that they might face suffering in the full confidence that God is their father and that they can go to their father for the help that they need in whatever it is they face. 
And that's what I want you to understand today. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ because by the mercy of God, He has caused you. It is His sovereign work. He is the actor. He's the subject. He is the one who is the cause of our new birth. He has caused you by the work of His Holy Spirit to be born again. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God, an heir of the Most High with Jesus Christ. Is that how you think about yourself? Is that how you understand your identity? I hope that it is, because this is what our true identity is. Heirs with Christ. This is the Christian's most fundamental identity. With the new birth that God has caused us to be born into comes a new identity. And if we are going to face life with the confidence of the gospel, we must understand this new identity that we belong to Jesus, that we have been washed clean, that we are children of our Heavenly Father. Believe that about yourself. Believe that about yourself because that is who God says you are. Live as a child of God. May Christ be with you. Amen.